So open a Bible with me to Exodus 4. The people of God enslaved in Egypt. And yet God at work in calling to himself Moses. The book of Exodus, and you can find the passage that I'm going to read on page 58 of the Bible that's right there in front of you. The book of Exodus is the story of God rescuing his people, a reminder of God's sovereign power, his goodness, even in the most desperate situations. God called Moses by appearing to him in a burning bush, giving him the command to go to be the rescuer, the one through whom God would use to rescue his people. So let's turn to Exodus 4. We're going to look at chapters 4 and 5 in the sermon today, but I'm going to begin this morning by reading chapter 4, beginning at Exodus 4, verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refused to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place along the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Let's bow our heads and come to God in prayer, asking that He would make Himself known to us today. Father in heaven, we give you praise for your grace and mercy. We thank you that in your word you have made yourself known as the God of compassion, the God who has the power to rescue. Lord, we pray through Jesus, our Savior, thanking that we can come to read your word by faith, trusting in you. And so, Lord, change our hearts that we might be willing to obey, to follow after you. Lord, for those who are listening to your word without a knowledge of Jesus as Savior, Lord, grant them now the faith to believe change their hearts that they might turn from sin and find their hope in Jesus, our Savior. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know the phrase, 
even if you don't watch boxing or wrestling. Let's get ready to rumble. You might even picture announcer Michael Buffer in his tuxedo at the center of the ring. His trademarked phrase has earned him $400 million in appearance fees and licensing deals. It's not just inside the ring that you hear the phrase. It's used by insurance companies and car dealerships. Let's get ready to rumble. The phrase draws a roar from the crowd because those are the last words before the combatants step into the ring for the fight to begin. The battle is about to begin in Exodus. And we might initially think the battle here will be between Moses and Pharaoh because they're the two men who will step to the center of the ring. But God has announced that it's God's intention to rescue his own people. And the signs that, that, that God will perform through Moses show that the, the battle is not merely against Pharaoh. This is a battle between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt. Exodus 4 and 5 are Yahweh's announcement to Pharaoh and Egypt's gods, let's get ready to rumble. We see the, the command of God in sending Moses back to Egypt. Look at what we read in, in verse 19. After Moses says his goodbye to his father-in-law, we're reminded in verse 19 of Exodus 4 that the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. It's the command of God for Moses to go and, and a reminder that, oh yeah, you couldn't go in the previous decades. You couldn't go before now because you're a murderer, your life was at risk, but, but those men are now dead. When we're told that, that Moses gathers his wife and sons, he's not, he's not merely going for a visit. He is relocating his family. But they, they, they go, and, and look at the note at the end of verse 20, what, what he packs with him. He took the staff of God in his hand. The staff, which God had, had given to him to be a miraculous sign that when he dropped it on the ground, it would turn into a snake. Then when he picked it back up again, it would be a staff. He was given signs that God would perform the power of God. And that's exactly what God says in verse 21. When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. It is God who is going to go to battle for his people. It is God who is going to rescue his people. And yet the, the warning comes to Pharaoh or to Moses that God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. This isn't going to be as simple as Moses walking down and saying, let my people go, and the people following him right back out. No, the, there will be rebellion on Pharaoh's part. When God says in verse 21, when you return, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. See, God knows what's going to happen before Moses even leaves. God is at work in Pharaoh's life. Pharaoh's rebellion is Pharaoh's decision. But God will harden his heart. God will, will confirm Pharaoh's decision 
so that he'll initially refuse, actually repeatedly refuse. And throughout the, the book of Exodus, we'll read many times, most of the time, that it's God who hardens Pharaoh's heart. Some of the time, it's Pharaoh who hardens his own heart. And then, well, a handful of times, it's just that his heart was hardened. We just are left with the outcome. Pharaoh is going to rebel against God. God is sovereign and powerful. God knows what will happen before Moses even begins the journey. Now, when you, know, when you and I hear the language of a hard heart, we think of someone who is cruel, someone who is mean, because that's the, the way that we would use the phrase colloquial in English, a hard heart. That person is hard-hearted. And yes, Pharaoh will show himself to be cruel. There's no doubt about that. We'll, we'll see that, that in, the, in the coming chapters. But, but the hardness of Pharaoh's heart is not so much a, a, an emphasis on his cruelty as much as his determination. He will have a strengthened heart, a heart that has been hardened, a heart that is resolved and determined he is unwilling to change his mind. Pharaoh makes a decision. God hardens that decision so that Pharaoh will continue in his rebellion against God. And we might think, wouldn't it show God's power to step into the ring and on the first punch gain a knockout victory? I mean, couldn't we script it that way, God? Let's just have Moses waltz right in, let my people go. Oh, good, that was easy, and walk right back out of Egypt. And yet, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart will give opportunity for God's power to be on display. For Pharaoh to ultimately see, for the people of Egypt to see, but even for the people of God. Because they might think, well, God has has abandoned us. God has been silent. God hasn't been around. What has God done for me lately? What kind of God is dragging us out into the desert anyway? But the hardness of Pharaoh's heart will give repeated opportunity for God to show forth his power. God's glory will be on full display. The signs and wonders that will be performed, not just these simple miracles by Moses, but the upcoming plagues against the gods of Egypt will prove who is the victorious conqueror. And yet, in the power of God, we still have a compassionate display of God's love. For how does he describe his people, Israel, the nation that are descended from the man named Israel, the, the people of God, the Hebrews? Look, look at verse 22. Moses is to tell Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. A picture of God's love and compassion. He will surely gain the victory because it's his son he's coming to rescue. His beloved, his children will be rescued by God. And yet, the warning is, is given to Pharaoh, let my son go so that he may worship, but Pharaoh, you refused to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son telling us what will happen as the rounds progress. As we move beyond the, the, the bloody Nile, as the, 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 the plagues progress, until finally Pharaoh's own sons, his life will be on the line. And yet in this language of one son dying and one son being rescued, we have the language of God's redemptive work. 
Because what will, what will ultimately rescue the son of Israel? The sons of Israel. It will be that God will provide an atoning sacrifice in the place of the, the firstborn of Israel. That God himself will prove his power and love. And it's not hard for us to hear the, the fullness of the gospel in that story. That just as God provides for his son, by providing an atoning sacrifice for the sons of Israel, so God provided his son, Jesus, for us. That God shows us the depth of his love by sending Jesus the Savior as an atoning sacrifice, the scriptures tell us. God shows us the power that he has to forgive our sins through the sacrifice of his own son and the victory of Jesus when he's raised from the dead because God has come to rescue his son. And God will ultimately rescue us, his church, through the death of his son. So Moses is given the command, given the plan of God, that God is the one who will step into this fight against Pharaoh and his hardened heart. But then as we're with, with Moses on the journey, we, we reach really perhaps the, the most bizarre of, of passages in the, in the whole book of Exodus. When they're there on the, at a lodging place on the way, look at verse 24, and the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. I mean, when you first read it, you think, wait, is, is that... That's in the Bible? I don't remember that when I, when I got my, my flannel graph stories in Sunday school. We skipped from the burning bush to the, 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 the court of Pharaoh. I don't remember a, a flint knife. I don't remember a bloody ritual. And, and, and what we see here is that God, in arriving to kill Moses, is making clear Moses is a non-essential worker in this plan. God is the one who's going to go gain the victory, even if Moses doesn't make it all the way to Egypt because of Moses' disobedience. Because remember, what is the sign of circumcision meant for? Well, well first, we can ask, to whom was this sign, this, this, this ritual, this religious ceremony given? It was given to Abraham 400 years before that, that every son who was born was to be circumcised on the eighth day. A command that it's clear that Zipporah knows enough about because she intervenes on Moses' behalf. Because Moses, who should have circumcised his son, has disobeyed God, has ignored the covenant that God made. Because the sign of circumcision is a picture for us of God's love. That God is the one who enters into covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God even gives them uh, this, this bloody ritual to point forward to the fact that one day God will provide a bloody sacrifice to take away their sins so that they can remain in relationship. And yet Moses disobeys the command, and it's going to cost him his life until his wife intervenes. Now, the, 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 the translators who work with the Hebrew here admit that the euphemisms abound, and so they're not exactly sure everything that happens after Zipporah takes the flint knife and cuts off her son's foreskin. And, but but the, details, the details might confuse us, but the, the main message is clear. Even the reference that, that Moses is a bridegroom of blood, that he should have obeyed God, that the circumcision would have shown his commitment to God's plan and purpose. 
But in his disobedience, he has ignored the covenant God made with Abraham. And it, maybe it's important to note again here that it's a woman who steps in to rescue Moses. It's not the first time this has happened. His birth mother rescued him by, by, by floating him in the ark on the River Nile. His sister stood at a distance and intervened so that, that his life would be preserved. His adoptive mother rescued him out of the reeds of Egypt. And now, even after God has appeared to him in the burning bush, God has proven to Moses his holiness. Moses, in his continued rebellion, disobeyed the command until his wife intervenes to bring the forgiveness that comes through this blood ritual. See, God is on his way to Egypt to gain victory. And he will win the battle even if Moses doesn't make the first announcement. And then when we arrive in Egypt, we're, we're initially greeted with such success that we think, oh, this will be nice and easy. Because all of the excuses that Moses had thrown at God in, the, in, the, in chapters 3 and 4, well, God, they're not, I mean, I mean, who am I to go? I mean, they're not even going to know who you are. I mean, what's your name? How will they believe that I've come? I mean, God, God answers every one of Moses' objections. I'm not good at talking. God God gives him the miraculous signs with the staff, with a, with a hand that becomes leprous and then a, a hand that is healed. Gives him the, the miraculous power to show forth the, the picture of God's love. He even brings Aaron to be a spokesman, brings Aaron out to meet Moses at the mountain of God in the wilderness. And then when, when Moses and Aaron gather together, the elders of the Israelites... And, and Aaron explains, as the, the mouthpiece for God, everything that the Lord had said to Moses. And Moses performs the miraculous signs. Look at what happens in verse 31. It's not what Moses anticipated. Moses thought, no one's going to believe anything I say. But because God is the one who is at work, what happens when the miraculous signs are performed, when the promises of God are announced? In verse 31 we read, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. God is at work. Everything that Moses had done to, to try and get out of doing this, just send someone else. Even when, when Moses' disobedience threatens the, the, his own life, God preserves his life through the intervention of Zipporah. And now when Moses arrives in Egypt, we see this initial success. And yet, well, now the fight's really going to get started. Because having arrived in Egypt, having announced the plan to the people of God, now it's time for Moses and Aaron to meet with Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, to make the demand that he let God's people go. So let's continue reading. We're now in Exodus chapter 5. I'm going to read uh, some selected verses. I'm going to start at Exodus 5 verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. 
Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met, met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from the labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they may keep working and pay no attention to lies. Now jump down with me to verse 19, Exodus 5, 19. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. It seems that the plan is failing. Moses is sent to Pharaoh. Pharaoh responds by saying, I don't know Yahweh, and I will not let Israel go. Yes, I've heard of some foreign gods, but those are gods of real empires, gods with temples. I can recite for you the names of the gods of Egypt, but you're bringing me this Yahweh? I don't know anything about him or what he's done, what kind of god you think he might be, and so I will not let the people go. Now, Moses seems surprised by this reaction. And yet, God is not surprised. This is exactly what God had told Moses was going to happen. When you go and say, let my people go, Moses is going to say no because I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. When Moses sins against me, I will, I will harden his resolve and his rebellion against me. He's not going to initially let the people go. And, and Pharaoh shows forth his own sinfulness here. The posture of unbelief. I don't know this, this, this Yahweh I won't listen to this Yahweh. And yet, tragically, Pharaoh will come to know who Yahweh is. Through his rebellion, he will see the power of Yahweh. When the gods of Egypt are, pro are proved to be incompetent and impotent, God will show forth his power. Pharaoh will start to learn what kind of God Yahweh is. The God who loves his son. The God who has power to rescue. But here, in his unbelief, he just tosses, tosses the, the command aside, I will not let Israel go. And yet, in some sense, Pharaoh's reaction is, is the reaction of all who won't believe. The, the, the sort of irony of unbelief, of wrestling against God while denying his existence, of living in the world where God is powerful, of your very existence being dependent upon the fact that you were made by God and live in his world, and yet you say, I want nothing to do with him. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't believe. I won't obey. And so as we step into the court with Moses and Aaron, 
as we see the rebellion of Pharaoh, we're, we're forced to confront our own hearts. Do I know who Yahweh is? Do I understand what kind of God he is? And so Pharaoh not only won't let them go, he, he now gives a command that is going to make the lives of the enslaved even harder. Previously, they'd been supplied with the, the straw for making the bricks. Now, nothing will be given to them. They'll have to go out into the fields after, after everything's already been harvested and try and from, from just the, the little stubble that's left, from the, the chaff that's left, gather up remnants. Their labor will be increased even when the quotas aren't dropped at all. The lives of the enslaved, which have been brutal up to this point, are now made worse by the rebellion of Pharaoh, by his commands that the only reason they're asking to be let go is because of their laziness. See, and we sometimes think that that God, if we follow God, that his commands will make our lives immediately easier. That, oh, well, if if I walk God's path, then surely things will get better. But sometimes obedience to God is costly. That what we think we're gonna get quickly will be difficult. Sometimes when we follow after God, we will suffer because of those who reject him and don't believe in him. Oftentimes, the benefits of our salvation remain in the future for us, the future of God's continuing grace that, that yes, someday all that has gone wrong will be made right, but, but maybe not today. Things are so bad for the enslaved of Israel that they, they blame Moses and Aaron things were bad before you showed up, but things have gotten worse. And not just worse for the enslaved, but, but worse for Moses, right? He brought his wife and sons with him to Egypt. And when he's kicked out of Pharaoh's court, what does Pharaoh say? Get back to your work. He is now counted among the enslaved. Their slavery increased, their burden, their burden growing. So that, that when the, when the, the foremen from, from Israel come to Moses and Aaron. They, they, they call down a curse upon them. May God himself judge you. May the Lord look upon you and judge you. Look at what you have done to us. You claimed to be some kind of rescuer, some kind of hero, and yet all I see is your failure. And then Moses responds in a similar way. Having heard the, the people of Israel call down judgment, he turns to God in verse 22, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. See, the people of God and Moses think we're at the point in the fight where the judges hold up their scorecards to determine who's the winner. And based on the voting that's taking place, they clearly think Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt have won this battle. God is incompetent, it seems. What did God think was going to happen when he sent Moses and Aaron in? We have no army. We have no power. And yet, yet we're, not at, we're not at the point in the battle where the, the judges are making their, or raising their scorecards. No, we're at the point in the battle where God himself, Yahweh, steps into the ring and begins to stretch out his arms. 
We're about to see what his power will look like. Everything that has happened to this moment has been under the control and authority of God. He knew exactly what Pharaoh was going to do. God hardened his heart. He knew that Pharaoh would disobey because God is going to show forth his glory. We're at the moment where God takes off his robe and steps into the ring and says, let's get ready to rumble. Pharaoh, you want to fight? You've stepped into the ring with the God of the universe. You think the Nile will protect you? Well, well, look what I can do to that. You think your gods will protect you? Well, look how I will show forth my power against them. See, the gods of Egypt will be shown to be impotent in the face of God's power because God has come to rescue his son. Israel is his beloved. God's power and God's love shown to us here in the book of Exodus. And Yahweh will rescue his son. When, when Moses says, you have not rescued your people at all, God says, oh, we're just getting started. This is the, we're still with the announcer, with the crowd beginning their cheer. And God himself will rescue you if you've put your faith in him. Even when we have proved faithless, God remains faithful. Even when we have failed and stand under the judgment of God, God intervenes on our behalf. Yahweh will gain the victory in Egypt. Yahweh is victorious in your life. All that has gone wrong will one day be made right. When Jesus, the King, God's own Son, returns, the one who gave himself for you on the cross, the one who proved to us the depth of God's love in willingly giving his life, the one who showed us the victory of God when he was raised from the dead. See, your victory is secure. Jesus, God's son, died for you. And so listen, God is ready to step into the ring. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you that when, when our lives seem hopeless, that you are the God who remains in control. That you already know the, the challenges we will face today and tomorrow. That you are the God who has already guaranteed your victory for us through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Father, we give you praise in the name of Jesus for the victory that is given to all who believe. Lord, prepare our hearts even now to come to the table which has been set for us by Christ through his death and resurrection. Give us comfort and peace. Give us hope that lasts into the future. God, we thank you for your grace and ask that you would be in, at work in the hearts of those who have heard your word, that we might turn from sin and put our trust in Jesus, the Savior who reigns. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.